Swain event fueled by Dead End Barbecue, top 100 barbecue restaurant in America, 865-255-03. Uh, we'll be joined here in a couple minutes by Coach Jackie Sherrill. Uh, I remember watching Coach Sherrill coach at Mississippi State. He had a um, a player right from my neighborhood, went to Johnson, um, and was a starting quarterback at Mississippi State, Wayne Mackin, and um, – I remember watching Mississippi State and cheering for Wayne. Um, also, I remember Fred Smoot, who played DB in the league, uh, was a big trash talker. But, man, that defense was really good. And man, I always remember Mississippi State, when they would score a touchdown on the sideline, the whole sideline would be dancing, like kickoff. I'll never forget that, man. It was so, so cool. But um, – Coach Cheryl coached Mississippi State, coached Texas A&M, Pitt, also at Washington State, but he was an assistant with Coach Majors for um, for a while, a couple different stops. Let me hit the text box right quick before uh, Ben gets on Coach Cheryl. Snoop Vall says, my work schedule hasn't allowed me to listen much this week. I'm sure you addressed this, but can you weigh in on Milton standing flat-footed, so in the pocket, I'm assuming that isn't a good thing. No, 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 probably not the best thing. I'm sure Hypo has addressed that. Um, but, yeah, we have addressed it uh, a little bit earlier in the week. Um, but, yeah, Hypo, I'm sure, will will correct that. QC Rodney says, all the stores are gold. This is what I'm afraid we are losing in the game today. RT Voss says, Turn on the show and thought I'll tune in to the LSU event with Coach O. That impression was dead on. Oh man. That's great. Just great. We are we are now joined by Coach Jackie Cheryl uh here in the Swain event. Coach Cheryl, good morning. Thank you so much for for being on with us today. You're welcome. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. I'm, before we get started, Coach, I want to tell you this because I know we talked yesterday for a little bit, and you asked uh, about Charles Davis and looked up when he played. I had Charles Davis on the program this morning, and the first thing he did was to uh, tell me, to tell you, hi. He wanted me to tell you, hey, and, and wish you all the best and thinking about you. So he told me to tell you, hey. Good. Thank you. Uh, Coach, I remember five years ago, uh, we did the show up at the Low T Center, Johnson City. It was you and it was Coach Majors, and you just sit there and listen to you guys tell stories. And m- mainly, it was Coach Majors telling stories. And um, Coach, you you have coached at several different stops. You've coached with Coach Majors at several different stops. The first question I asked Coach Majors, uh, excuse me, Charles, about Coach Majors was, "What did Coach Majors mean to him?" And he said that. He lost his father. He doesn't think about his father every day, but he thinks about Coach Majors every single day. I'll ask you, uh, Coach Cheryl, what did Coach Majors mean to you? Well, there wasn't any question. Uh, yeah, very similar. Uh, my mother and father were divorced when I was young. Matter of fact, very young. And when I we, when I'm talking about young men in our positions, the most important people 
probably in their lives are the coaches because the coaches are the male figures that give you, you know, the dis- discipline, they give you compassion, but they also give you direction. Mm. So, you know, I can understand all the young men, and probably that helped me in coaching is certainly how I raised. But when I started coaching, I wasn't going to go into coaching. But when I started coaching, I was finishing my uh, master's degree at the University of Arkansas, and I played at Alabama and started it there. And Coach Majors got the job at Iowa State. I walked into his office and asked him to hire me. And he looked at me and he said, well, what can you coach? And I said, Coach, if you're a coach, you can coach anything. And he kind of looked at me, but he went to Coach Brawls and Coach Brawls told him, he said, you know, you need to hire him. And that's he gave me my first job. And we were there five years, and he promoted me. Uh, first year, I was the B-team coach. Second year, I was the linebacker coach. Third year, I was the defensive coordinator and linebacker. And uh, the fourth year, I was the assistant head coach. So we stayed there five years, then went to Pittsburgh. And matter of fact, uh, we were at the Liberty Bowl when he took the job. And he said, Jackie, I want you to go and set everything up in Pittsburgh, which I did. And we were there two years. And I went to uh, Washington State as the head coach. But Coach Major was uh, a very dear friend. And Coach Majors was kind of like a father. You know, I... Even though they were very, very close, I never used the term other than coach to coach majors. And usually when that happens with players to coaches, uh, that means that the respect is also strong. Mm -hmm. Later in life, we became really close and you kind of, saw part of it when we were together, but we had a conversation on Sunday night before he passed, and we talked for about an hour and a half, and, you know, he said he was fine. He said health was good, he was enjoying life, and he was up sitting on his porch and at his house looking overlooking the Tennessee River and then I get a call on Tuesday morning real early from a media person and I didn't believe him when he said that so I called Coach Major's cell phone and his son answered and sure enough and what he said was he was on the porch, and the lady that was helping uh, 
married Lent, came out, checked on him. He was doing fine. And then she came back out, and he was asleep, and she couldn't wake him up. And he was, uh, he was, he was in the place that you would imagine him to be, you know, right there uh, inside the state of Tennessee, sitting uh, and enjoying what makes Tennessee one of the most beautiful places in, in the world, uh, with the Tennessee River and having that view. And uh, I just know how much Tennessee means means to Coach Majors. Um, when when you guys won that championship there at Pittsburgh, and you know, he got the phone call to come back home to, to Tennessee. I'm pretty sure you were one of the first people that he talked to about it. Uh, what was that conversation like, Coach? Well, I wasn't there. I was at Washington State. That's right. That's right. You but, left. You said Washington State in 76. Right. I'm sorry. But he did talk to me, and it wasn't any question that he was going home. You know, it was kind of like Coach Bryant. You know, when the old story of Coach Bryant when he was at Texas A&M and asked him, you know, why did you leave A&M? And he said, Mama was calling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Coach Coach Majors is a Tennessee treasure. And if you look at his life, you look at his family's life, uh, the whole family, the whole major family uh, were treasures of Tennessee mm. and you know born there all the success that he had the joy that he brought to so many Tennessee people as a young kid as a high school player and then certainly as a college player and then as a college coach so you know, Coach Majors brought an awful lot of pleasure uh, to people in the state of Tennessee. What would you say to the Hall of Fame voters? You know, Coach Majors is in the Hall of Fame as a player, um, but but not as a coach. And, you know, we had Chris Lowe on earlier, and he wanted me to ask you about that because, you know, yeah. Coach, Coach Majors did go back to Pittsburgh to try to rebuild Pittsburgh and, um, you know, suffered some losses there and that kind of hurt his overall record you know what would, what would you say to those to those voters to those decision makers um, about coach majors getting into the Hall of Fame as a coach as well as a player well he should be because you look at his stops at Iowa State uh, we lost one year three games and that was to Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Colorado, and they finished one, two, three mm. in the nation. Mm. Uh, then you took them to the first bowl games. Uh, then you look at Pitt, and it was the biggest turnaround ever in college football. So I asked Coach Majors not to go back to Pittsburgh. Uh, and I just said, Coach, there's no way you can repeat what you did there. But uh, he was determined to go back, and he, quite frankly, he was kind of hurt. And 
went back. But to answer your question, Coach Major should be in the Hall of Fame as a coach. And however, they have a rule that you got to have sixty percent or higher as when as a winning coach. And there are people in the Hall of Fame that do not have 60% winning record. Mm. So they have made exceptions, and they certainly should make an exception for Coach. Yep. Coach Cheryl, I'm curious, when, when you were at Washington State and, and Pittsburgh and Texas A&M, Mississippi State, as the head coach without Coach Majors uh, alongside you. Did, did you ever stop during a practice or during a game and, and kind of uh, think, uh, man, I picked that up from, from my time with Coach Majors? Well, I was very fortunate. You know, I played for Coach Bryant. Uh, I coached for him one year. I coached for Frank Brawls one year. And I coached for Coach Majors eight years. All were different. All were great coaches, great men. Uh, Coach Bright was a man's man. Whatever you want to be in a man, he is. Uh, Coach Brawls was an outstanding businessman. But Coach Majors was probably the best PR guy in the business. He could meet you, and 15 years later, he could tell you, where you met, what you said. And he always had the ability and to make people really comfortable around him. And, you know, I would hope that I had taken, you know, parts of all of them. But Coach Majors, his strength was the ability to say the right thing at the right time. And there's no question that Pittsburgh hired the right coach because he sold the people of Pittsburgh uh, to the program and the program to them that they could win. Mm-hmm. And they won the national championship. Coach Cheryl, uh, I want to I want to get you out on this, and I thank you so much for for your time. And uh, this has just been a sp- special special interview. Uh, hearing your take on Coach Majors, I know how close you you y'all were. Uh, what what kind of emotions are going to be running through through your body, Coach? You know, this weekend, uh, this game is the Johnny Majors Classic. You coached at Pitt, um, you know, as a head coach, also as an assistant, where you won. You know, championship with Coach Majors, and you know you're going to be the honorary uh, captain for for Pittsburgh, but you're going to be in the home of Johnny Majors. Uh, well, it shall it shall the pit now, and Coach Majors would he'd get mad if I did anything else. <laughs> you know, I I got to tell you a funny story, please, uh, real quick, please. I asked the players, I mean, asked coaches. I said, you know, on summer reports, I said. I know the personnel. You know, I can look at the the plays. I said, on the scouting reports, give me things that will help us win that game. 
whether it's travel, whether it, whatever it is that you can think of. Well, if you remember years ago, Tennessee field was lined with PV speakers. And I remember as a player how loud it was, but I never knew why. But fast forward, the PV speakers and one was, you know, the PV speakers are 10, uh, four feet by three feet rock band speakers. They lined a speaker up every 10 yards and on the the home side they were facing the stands on the visitor side they were facing the field and you couldn't hear yourself talk so I had our security guys that travel Ray Goga and Johnny Parker I gave them some wire cutters and I told them to cut the wires. <laughs> well, they did. And they fixed them, and right before kickoff, I told them to cut them again, and they did. And so we didn't have the blaring sound. Uh, and we could listen and talk to ourselves. And then, <clears throat> right before kickoff, as two teams come on the field for television, they always have the visiting team come out first. And they were jerking me and trying to pull me to get the team to come out on the field, and I said no. And people asked me, why not? I said, well, there's 100,000 people, and you can't boo and cheer at the same time. I'm coming out the same time Tennessee is. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's smart right there, Coach. What did what did uh what did uh Coach Majors say to you when he found out you cut those wires? He did never knew that <laughs> until took- later. <laughs> of course, his comment was, "Well, I know knew you'd do something like that," <laughs> but and then. Uh, he, I came back in there in 91 so that was 11 years later when I was at Mississippi State and I'm out on the field pregame and this guy walks up and pulls my shirt and I turn around and he points his finger at me and says you're not cutting my speaker wires today <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him and I started laughing, and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, man. That's great right there. That is great. That is great. Well, uh, Coach, it's going to be an uh, emotional time, especially pregame. Uh, once the ball is kicked off, you know, football is football. But uh, I hope you have a great speech to those Pittsburgh uh, players and let them understand how important Coach Majors is. And for us spectators, I hope we see an awesome game and – uh, I know Tennessee fans want the win and Pittsburgh fans want the win, uh, but this is this is about Coach Majors and his legacy. I just appreciate you coming on the program this morning to share uh, a little bit of Coach Majors' legacy and the stories uh, that you that you have with him. So, Coach Cheryl, thank you so much, and I hope you have a good time here in Knoxville, and I wish you nothing but the best. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Coach. All right. Bye-bye. 
Bye bye, Coach Cheryl. Man, what a what a man, what a story. That's something that we would do, Ben. We would cut the cords too. Yes, we we would. I would definitely do that. <laughs> I would definitely do that. That's no, th- you would send me over to cut the cords. Is what would happen. Yeah, probably. Ben, ben go cut the cords. Go cut those cords. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Eleven years later, someone came over to him. You ain't gonna cut them cords today. I knew it was you. I'm on to you. I'm on to you, Coach. Coach Cheryl. Oh, good stuff right there. 865-255-03. Be right back. Brought to you by the Low T Center and LowTCenter.com. Do you know your numbers? Feel like you again. Let us help. Guys, your health right now is more important than ever. I recommend Low T Center. That's where I get my levels checked. It all starts with the annual wellness exam where they do a comprehensive health assessment exclusively for men, making it quick and easy to take care of your health. And now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatment. Most insurance is accepted. Go to LowTCenter.com now to book your appointment and make your health a priority. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. At Iris Networks, we know that business communication solutions are critical to your success. Since 1998, we've been helping businesses in East Tennessee by providing reliable and affordable high-speed fiber internet and voice solutions. That's why Iris Networks is your Tennessee communications partner. With internet speeds up to 100 gigs and work-from-anywhere solutions like mobile apps, video conferencing, and file sharing, we make sure you can stay connected to your customers and great communities we live and work in. Iris Networks, because just like you, Tennessee is our home. Out-of-town law firms have been swarming into East Tennessee lately. Firms from Memphis, Chattanooga, and Birmingham have stormed into the area. Wouldn't you rather do business with a local law firm? You know, a true neighbor. Marcos Garza and the pros at the Garza Law Firm are just that. They are our neighbors and friends that support local causes year-round. The Garza Law Firm works to serve you professionally on criminal matters, injuries and accident matters, and Social Security and disability filings. The Garza Law Firm is here for you at GarzaLaw.com. The Garza Law Firm, let us help. J.C.'s Tree and Landscaping Service specializes in quality tree work done at an affordable price. Trimming and removing trees are their specialty. They also offer other services like land clearing, stump grinding, crane services, and all of your basic landscaping needs for both commercial and residential. JC's will give you a free estimate and beat any written quote by a competitor to guarantee that you get the lowest price around. Don't risk your land with a fly-by-night service. JC's Tree and Landscaping is licensed and insured. Give them a call at 865-599-3799. Out-of-town law firms have been swarming into East Tennessee lately. Firms from Memphis, Chattanooga, and Birmingham have stormed into the area. Wouldn't you rather do business with a local law firm? You know, a true neighbor. Marcos Garza and the pros at the Garza Law Firm are just that. They are our neighbors and friends that support local causes year-round. The Garza Law Firm works to serve you professionally on criminal matters, injuries and accident matters, and Social Security and disability filings. The Garza Law Firm is here for you at GarzaLaw.com. The Garza Law Firm, let us help.
At Iris Networks, we know that business communication solutions are critical to your success. Since 1998, we've been helping businesses in East Tennessee by providing reliable and affordable high-speed fiber internet and voice solutions. That's why Iris Networks is your Tennessee communications partner. With internet speeds up to 100 gigs and work-from-anywhere solutions like mobile apps, video conferencing, and file sharing, we make sure you can stay connected to your customers and great communities we live and work in. Iris Networks, because just like you, Tennessee is our home. Guys, your health right now is more important than ever. I recommend Low T Center. That's where I get my levels checked. It all starts with the annual wellness exam where they do a comprehensive health assessment exclusively for men, making it quick and easy to take care of your health. And now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatment. Most insurance is accepted. Go to LowTCenter.com now to book your appointment and make your health a priority. Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Swain Event, SwainEvent.com, fueled by Dead End Barbecue, top 100 barbecue restaurant in America, 865-255-03. Our three is powered by Low T Center and LowTCenter.com, reinventing men's health care. Ben McKee, Jason Swain. All right, sign for around the SEC, and uh, Ben, what do we have? I actually have a ton to uh, bring up this morning. I will do so rather quickly so we can... Get back to our Tennessee receivers conversation Swain mentioned earlier. After we have Chris Lowe on, after we have Jackie Sher on, he'll he'll discuss Cedric Cedric Tillman's comments that Tennessee receivers aren't asked to block a lot. We'll we'll get to that here in just a moment. Uh, but first, I want to start with some SEC basketball news. There were there were two significant pieces of news as it relates to SEC hoops yesterday. We'll start down on the plains at Auburn. Alan Flanagan, one of Auburn's key returning players, uh, will miss 12 to 14 weeks after undergoing surgery on his right Achilles uh, per a press release. Uh, this is significant SEC news. Uh, seems like he'll miss the first half of the season, miss non-conference play, uh, but still a, a significant chunk of, of time he will miss. Uh, down in Turdtown, Nate Oates is, is dealing with a more significant injury. A Texas Tech transfer, Namari Burnett, a former five-star, uh, injured his knee recently, and it is a torn ACL mm. and will miss the season. As a freshman at Tech last year, uh, he's a six-foot-four guard. He came off the bench, averaged 5.3 points and 1.8 rebounds through 12 games. Uh, he is the second player to tear his ACL at Alabama uh, this offseason. James Rojas, a backup post player. Uh, Alabama's Urosh Plashik tore an ACL uh, in June and had surgery. So uh, tough news there for Alabama and Auburn. As it relates to SEC football, with Ole Miss having played Monday night, all the accolades from week one came out yesterday. The Coach's poll was updated, and Alabama was number one. Georgia was number two. Texas A&M was number five. Florida, number nine, which I don't see how anybody can see Florida as a top-ten football team, but whatever. 
Uh, Ole Miss was 20th. Uh, receiving votes, Auburn would have come in 26th, LSU 28th, Kentucky 37th, Arkansas 45th, Tennessee 47th, Missouri 54th. And uh, speaking of Missouri, Jamarion Gooch, former Tennessee signee, uh, played at the Kings Academy a little bit during his senior year. Uh, He was medically disqualified back in August, but he has entered the transfer portal. So I'll be curious to see if if he can find a a home to play college football after he was medically disqualified. Yeah, it's going to be tough, man. Got to find somebody that's willing to take that risk. Yeah, I, I hope he can can find something because it is a once in a in a lifetime opportunity to play college football. I also thought this was a, a weird. I hope he lives. Yes, that too. So that, that yeah, football that, that is important. You know, I, I would hate for you know we just we 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 heard of a I think it was a player a week or two ago um, that passed away in practice. Man, I think I think everybody's fearful of what happened in Maryland. So. Yep. Um, that's I mean, that's 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 tough, man. I just hope he makes the right decision and his family's okay with it. It is, it is. Uh, but I found this funny uh, due to construction at the Columbia Airport there in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz said Missouri, who plays Kentucky this week, this Saturday, significant football game, should be a good football game. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz said Missouri has to alter travel plans for the first road game. Not everyone can leave out of Como, and potentially no one can return straight to Como from Lexington after the game. So Missouri going to have to deal with some funky travel arrangements as it heads into uh, this Saturday's key game against Kentucky. John Bryce dropped some interesting news as it relates to Vanderbilt uh, yesterday. Who you cannot? Say, you gotta say it from from a pity of stomach. Right? Okay, I got you in just a second because Clark Lee was on Nashville radio this morning with with Joe Rexroad Mm-mm. on uh, ESPN one hundred two five the game and had an interesting comment. Vanderbilt head coach Clark Lee uh, was asked about keeping a team that has lost a lot recently. How do you keep them positive? And Clark Lee said. Uh, it's a bit of a traumatized group, and there was a bit of an expectation that we were going to win Saturday. There was an expectation that ETSU was going to cooperate in that regard. So you went into a football game expecting your opponent, regardless of talent level, to cooperate yeah, it ha- hey, it happened here two years ago. Uh, it did. That that is a a great example because that is exactly what Jeremy Pruitt did. But uh, the the news that jo- that John Bryce dropped yesterday was pretty interesting uh, because apparently Clark Lee is already shuffling the offensive duties uh, there within its offensive coaching staff. He's yeah, shuffling and- something. Well, apparently this happened during fall camp, uh, according to John Bryce. Uh, the Commodores are preparing to lean on passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach Joey Lynch for greater input in a chief role in the offensive execution and organization. 
Multiple sources last week confirmed the move to football scoop with one coach familiar with the situation who said this was done weeks ago. I guess now it's official. So fall camp, you're messing around with your offensive coaching staff before you even get into a game? A little weird. What's worse is that jersey stunt he pulled. Because I'm telling you, I bet them players looked at him like he was like he was crazy. Did not get the response he thought he was going to get. Something is up if you lose losing to an ETSU. You can't score a touchdown against ETSU. So I doubt those players are bought in. A lot of Jeremy Perrette vibes there. All right. Um, so Big Orange J on the text box a little earlier um, asked a question about receivers blocking. Now, Cedric Tillman – during his availability, said that the receivers are not asked to block much. And you asked me to comment. I said I didn't really want to. <laughs> Tough. This is, this is why you get paid the big bucks. The reason why I didn't really want to, because I don't like it, just to be honest. The reason why I don't like it, even though I understand it, See how they work together? Like, you cannot like something but understand it. The reason why I understand it is because the receivers are asked to do a lot of running. They probably run more than anybody else on the offense, probably anybody else on the team, and have to go down, run a route, hurry up, get lined up, and run another play. And it's a lot. It's a lot. And so in this offense – a running play that is not coming directly towards you, I think the offense staff seems to be lenient on the receivers getting a little breather during the running game. Now, uh, what if the run bounces outside to the perimeter? If you, well, if you, uh, like I said, if you know that the the ball's not coming towards you, and that's when you. Um, when you mature as a football player, you start to understand exactly like how the offense works, and you understand other people's job. So, like my first couple years, well, my first year, I, I just did. I just was focused on my job. I didn't really care about what everybody else did. I was just trying to make sure I didn't mess up. As you get older, you get more comfortable in the offense. You start to understand, like, all right, man, this this toss sweep. If I'm on the backside, I know if it does bounce back is going to bounce back here more than likely and so like you start to understand what other people are doing what other people's jobs are um and it helps you become a better blocker it helps you become a better football player it helps you play fast for sure now there are some running plays that as a receiver as you get older and you get experience you know like all right this could potentially bounce it could potentially bounce this way the running back is reading the hole, but it can b- bounce play side. It can bounce backside. So I need to be in a good position just in case it bounces backside to, towards me. If it's a toss sweep and you're on the left and the toss sweep is to the right, nine times out of ten, you're going to be blocking that safety or cutting that corner off that's going to be trying to pursue the ball from the other side of the football field. So you just kind of understand that. Well, in this offense – it, it's so fast, and the receivers run so much that it's understandable why 
a receiver is allowed to fake like he's going to get a bubble screen and just take a, and take a blow, take a breather. But I see it as giving the corner a break. You getting a break? Well, you're giving the corner a break too. That's a chance to cut his butt up. That's a chance to physically, you know, impose your will. That's a chance to, to take advantage of a body blow. Mentally as well. Yeah, like, I mean, mentally and, and physically. Go block him. Go cut him. Go hit him. Demoralize him physically and mentally. But I understand that, like, the physical toll – that it puts on a wide receiver running this offense. I get it. I get it. Like, I don't like it. I'm not going to sit here and say I like it because I like hitting DBs. I don't like DBs. I like them. Well, am I wrong for not liking it because of, of the potential impact that a receiver could have on a play in terms of, of blocking downfield for a running back? I mean, I, I don't want to sit there and, and oh, see. I haven't got uh, that point yet. Oh, well, that's my whole reason I don't really like it because I, I don't want to see people acting like you against Marshall and whiffing on your block and not allowing Gerald Ricks to score. Like, I, I don't want to see that. I don't even know what you're talking about. You're talking about South Carolina? Whatever game it was. Cedric Houston? I don't know. There were too many games. He picked up a 35-yard run. If you would have done done your job, it could have been a touchdown. My guy didn't make the tackle, Ben. But he didn't score. That's on Cedric. He got to be faster. (laughs) Got to be faster, man. But that's all seriousness. That's what I don't like about it off the cuff. Look, the coaches know a lot more about football than I do. I just – how many times do we see a a situation on a a running play where – if the receiver makes that final block, he springs the running back loose for a touchdown. Well, but that's that's the the pros and cons of of this offense. Like you have you have pros and cons with the pro style offense. The con is you you know you don't put pressure on the defense with up 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 tempo. You allow them to make substitutions. You allow them to rest. So every offense has a has pros and cons. You just have to do a good job of playing your pros and playing your strengths. Strengths. Playing your strengths and not play it to uh, your weaknesses. Strength of this. All right. All right, Devontae. I know, right? You're a little so optimistic. You got to do a jo- good job playing to your strengths and not playing to your, to your weaknesses. So, like, I don't want to blow this up to be bigger than what it really is. I'm just saying I don't like it. I'm being honest. Like, I don't like it because I like hitting DBs, and I just feel like as I say this, a reminder that Josh Heupel's offense have, has been really great, and he's put up tons of points, and he's been successful. But that doesn't mean that I have to like every single part of it. I don't like not hitting DBs. Now, I just feel like that when I run a passing play that is down the football field, if I'm running you know, a post route, I'm running a go route, I'm running a, a route that takes time for the play to develop. I know that the running backs are blocking to give me protection along with the offensive line. I just feel like it's only right that I block for them to help them spring long runs too. That's why I took pride in blocking when I did. Now, I didn't take pride in it. You know, all four years, I had to be get to learn. I had to be cussed out. I had to be shown on film what it takes to block as a receiver here in Tennessee. Like I had to, like yeah, I had to learn for sure. And after I learned, like like I became a really good blocker. And I love to see guys like Gerald Riggs, Montario Hardesty, Marcus Coker, uh, Cedric Houston, Arian Foster. Like I love to see those guys 
win and eat on the outside, picking up an extra five, ten yards of me blocking you on the outside. Now, one thing I ain't gonna do is sit up in there blocking and let you know you roll up on my ankle. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I'm better, definitely with that. You better make somebody miss. You ain't rolling up on my ankle. That's that is for the person. <laughs> also, like you see a receiver deliver a, a, a great block to, to help spring a, a great play, and, and typically, if a, a receiver is blocking, I mean, it could be uh, somebody catches a pass and a fellow receiver is blocking downfield to, to try and help them. But you primarily see it on, on run plays. It fires up the sideline when you see a receiver. Heck yeah. Bodying somebody and I doing their it. job to, to spring a, a run extra 10, 15 yards. I, I guess you just kind of have to find a happy medium. You do. And, and like, you're putting pressure on the defense and the DB. You're just doing it in a different way physically. So, like, physically, you are putting pressure on them by making them line up real quick and run another play, line up real quick, run another play, line up real quick and guard you. So it's not like you're not challenging them physically. I just want to put like I want to put my hands on DB. Mm-hmm. Like that's my that's my time and demoralize to get them. back. I run a route. I'm open. The you know the quarterback makes a bad throw or the offensive line you know doesn't block and the DB's all in your face talking about some incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Man, shut up! I just beat you. <laughs> incomplete, incomplete, and I can't wait for the next run play. So I can roll up on his ass, take him to the <laughs> sideline, and complete that. DB, that's, that's, DBs that's my mentality. Are, DBs are by far the most annoying people on the football them. field. I can't stand. I them. mean, even even as a fan watching football in general, I mean, you see it at every level—high school, college, NFL. No matter what happens, if the ball hits the ground, the DBs are celebrating. It 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 could be after they got broke off at the line of scrimmage. The receiver released. Well, it's ten steps ahead of the DB, and the ball goes through the receiver's hands, and the DB is acting like he did something to to affect that. I had to text Jonathan Wade. I just text him right now. DBs are trash. I said, just think about how much I hate DBs. I can't stand your ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's eight forty where he is. I hope he wakes up. And that's the first message he sees for the day. I can't stand DBs. I can't stand them. I love it. I can't stand them, man. And that's why I don't like. Not blocking DBs. I want to put my hands on them every chance that you can get. Because when football's over, you can't put your hands on anybody. You go to jail. You can't go to jail. You're missing out on opportunities to slap somebody across their head and not get in trouble. You're just standing there faking a bubble screen. No, nah, man, forget that. Go baptize him. Go baptize him. Go wash away all his sins. His number one sin is lining up trying to guard me man to man. That's your number one <laughs> sin. You're going to pay today. You're going to learn today. I can't stand DBs, uh, man. I, think, I can't uh, stand them, man. They stink. They I, stink. I think somebody needs to go speak with, with Tennessee's receivers prior to hmm. Saturday's game. Because can't, uh, can't stand I, did not, I did not see that, that type of mindset against Bowling Green outside of Cedric Tillman. Uh, I guess, in, in, in summary, we're, we're just going to have to get used to some quirks with this offense. Yeah, it's yeah, different. Yeah. And I, I want to kind of go back to our conversation yesterday about Dylan Gabriel's comments. And um, I, I want to share some thoughts that were shared with me on, on the general's quarters on VolQuest from Bassmaster Vol. Okay. Uh, did a good job of, of pointing out these facts, uh, kind of arguing against Dylan Gabriel's comments. Okay. And I think that they are, are very fair, and it, it makes you say, huh, in regards to Dylan Gabriel opening up his mouth. Maybe he should have 
kept it shut. Dylan Gabriel said in eight of the ten games last season, mm-hmm. they they schemed for a particular defensive alignment, and when they showed up, it was a different defensive alignment. Mm-hmm. That that is like just hearing that with no context, huge red flag, right? V- huge. It was suspect. Yes. Uh. Josh Heupel's offense was the best in the country from a statistical standpoint last year. There wasn't a team in the country who played five or more games last year that averaged more yards per game. UCF finished technically second in all of college football last year in yards per game. The only team that finished ahead of them was Kent State because they played four games. Kent State played four games and averaged 606 yards of offense. UCF played 10 games and averaged 568 yards of offense per game. How do you essentially lead the lead the, the country in total offense? Yet in eight out of the ten games, you you lined up and you saw a different defensive scheme than than you anticipated. Yep, this is this is why, and huh? this, is a, this is a good example of when you let your emotions outweigh your brain. You let the fact that you don't like Josh Heupel. For whatever reason, I don't know that reason. Because you uh, left him, it may, dude. It may be. It may be something else. Who knows? Um, I mean, he Gabriel sounded like a scorned teenage girl when he was like, "These last two days have been the best days." Like the subtweeting, like he, you know, he, he he was hurt. He was hurt. He was hurt. Something something happened. So. Um, but you gotta be careful letting your displeasure for someone or your bias against someone make you sound ridiculous mm-hmm. and your points not be clear. Like there's people that that I, I, I'm not fond of, but y'all will never know it because I can get on here and say they did something good if they did something good, and I can say they did something bad and love it. <laughs> and be petty. Oh, you 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 do. Yeah, I, but I can, but, we all do. But but like, whether you dislike hype or not, man, you cannot ignore the fact that the dude put up some crazy numbers there. His offense was prolific. So, well, and, thanks for sharing that, though. Yeah, and I had one other note to contradict Dylan Gabriel. All right, uh, he he talked about the Georgia Tech game last year, and criticized the game plan on offense going into that particular Georgia Tech game. Said I don't have his direct quote in front of me, but he said he felt uneasy with his pre-snap reads or whatever. Man. In that Georgia Tech game that he is talking about, Swain, he threw for a career high 417 yards and four touchdowns. They put up over 600 yards of offense <laughs> and beat Georgia Tech 49-21. to Dylan Gabriel. Man, sit your ass down. <laughs> what are you talking about? You didn't feel good about the offensive game plan? You threw for a career best 417 yards. Hypo, I got you, man. You ain't got to respond publicly. I got you. You focusing on Pitt. I know you don't want to say anything publicly about your former player because it'll make you look bad. I get it. You got to just ignore him. But Hypo, I got you. I got you, Hypo. I'm going to be your anger translator. And I'm going to say what you really want to say, Hypel, which is... Man, sit your ass down. 
Dylan Gabriel doing too much. Now, last night, and, and we've had a couple of people uh, point this out uh, on the text box, Elsie Vall, uh, the other McKee, Cade, last night on Tennessee Prime, did point out that Pittsburgh or uh, Bowling Green threw out a defensive alignment that they had not seen on film. Okay. Remember that? I do remember that. Yeah, I do uh, remember that. And, and uh, I, had a, I, had a, I had a DM about that. And um, also part of what Kay was saying was that, and it's something I had mentioned too, Bowling Green played four games last year. Mm-hmm. Five. And when you play a team the first game of the season, there's going to be some things that y- you haven't seen on film. This is why teams schedule boo-boo opponents first game of the season because you can overcome that. Mm-hmm. So when we played Cal first game of the season, we were pretty lucky that Coach Cut has saw some things that they did the year before as far as motions, and they did a poor job of shifting. They could have fixed that during the summer. They could have fixed that in the offseason. But we prepared for it based on what we've seen from film last the season before. It so happened to work, and I was wide open for the touchdown. But, like, I think people saw Gabriel's comments, and then they took, you know, Cade's comment, and they just tried to smash it together, and they're not the same. Tennessee staff adjusted in-game. Yep. They adjusted in-game, and that's what you do. Sometimes you play in a game, and, and we see it all the time. The first possession, it's like, yo, did we even practice this week? Offensively, you know, offensively, um, you know, you go down and you score first possession, like it's easy. Well, that defense probably was caught off guard. They probably didn't see something on film that you just ran. So that's, what, that's why they go back to the sideline. They make adjustments, and they come out, and then you're like, oh, man, now the offense can't score. It's called in-game adjustments. It's called doing something on film to give the defense something to work on, and then you do something totally different. It's why you run vanilla plays mm-hmm. at the start of the season. So that way when you play that team, that good opponent the next week or the week before, you're throwing something at them that they haven't seen. That's the whole purpose of running vanilla plays. So, yeah, like I, Cade's comments was, was Cade's comments, but he was, he was speaking to how they adjusted on a fly well because they – got something um, from Bowling Green's defense that they did not see on film. You can only prepare for something that you've seen on film. Right. And, and Cade pointed that out, that they they just had not seen it from Bowling Green on film. So how do you prepare for something if you hadn't seen it on on it, film? Exactly. And, and Cade, preaching, man. Well, the people who were making these comments didn't, like, point it out in a bad way. They, 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 they just – pointed out that they thought it was ironic that we spent yesterday okay. morning just, talking about okay. it. And then sure. Cade kind of pointed out the same thing. And then both the other McKee and Elsie Vall complimented the coach right. staff right. on making to... adjustments. The other McKee said, if anything, it sounded like Hypo is a great in-game adjustments, which is something we haven't had in a long time. That's also right. seems the defense adjusted in-game against Bowling Green. Sorry, sorry. You're right. You're right. I'm going to be fired talking what? about them DBs, man. I'm going to fire it up now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all good. So take a cold shot. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think it's something to be alarmed of as of of right now. Um, they've they've shown that they can make in game adjustments. Uh, I I don't know why Dylan Gabriel is bitter, but he is. Oh, he bitter, man. Now I I still share the same concerns 
about Heupel's offense long term that I expressed yesterday, and, and that is that if and when everybody figures out how to slow down Heupel's offense, can he make adjustments? Because we have seen these type of new-aged offenses, uh, not that Heupel's the only run that, one, that runs tempo, but uh, his is a little different than most. Heck, the, the players yesterday, Jerome Carvin and, and coaches and, and Tyler Barron were saying that they, they didn't run the tempo fast enough is what the coaches were telling them after the game. Oh, okay, let's uh, see it first. So can will make adjustments and, and evolve in his offense, with his offense, when defenses start to figure him out? Gus Malzahn was not able to do so. Uh, there's there's other coaches that, that weren't able to do so. So I still have that curiosity concern moving forward. He should, because in Missouri he didn't he didn't have a tempo that he that he ran at um at Central Florida. Which so, I guess should tell us that he will evolve. And he can make a That he can. Will, I don't know, but he, he has proven that he he has. He has and he can. Now Willie, I don't, I don't know. So, like, I'm sorry. There's every defense, every offense has a weakness. Like there, there is not a foolproof scheme. I'm sorry. There's not every every scheme has weaknesses. I don't care if you go, you know, a five-two defense. Well, you're vulnerable in the pass because you got everyone in the box. All right, you want to go cover two? Cool. But now you're vulnerable in the middle. All right, you want to go cover three? Awesome. Now you're vulnerable, um, you know, giving up curls and comebacks, you know, in the soft zone. Like every defense, every offense has a weakness. It's the other team's job to exploit that weakness. And you do that by um, having good players, having an understanding of how to beat it, having smart players, um, and execution. So even Heupel's success uh, offensively, he has weaknesses. What he has done is done a great job of covering those weaknesses up this whole entire time. But, but his offense has weaknesses. It does. The question is, what teams in SEC will be able to exploit them? And if it does happen, will he be able to adjust? We haven't seen that yet. So no reason to jump to conclusions from the first game because we ain't there yet. All right, who's on the phone? Uh, David and Paducah. Can't stand DBs, man. Got me fired up. David, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Jason. Uh, first thing, I want to tell you the that has been awesome. Absolutely awesome. Say, say it one more time. The phone, the phone went out a little bit. <laughs> I'm serious. Primetime has been an awesome show. Oh, it's man. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have, I've really, really enjoyed it and getting to see the kids be them and, and so forth. I was. I was blown away by Tyler Barron last night. I really was. I, I didn't – that was not anything I expected from him. So, uh, really enjoyed it. But what I called in for on this deal with Gabriel and his comments, uh, I'm not going to say what the kid thinks, but it almost seems like somebody that's butthurt over losing something he didn't want to lose, uh, and that being Hypel. But when he says that they saw all these defenses that were different from what they prepared for, my last few years of coaching in high school, an older coach came back to a school 
and he actually convinced me not to get out of coaching and stay a few more years. First meeting, he said, all right, get ready. He said, I'm bringing back the split back beer. He said, we're going to run it. Nobody knows what to do with it. And so we went 21, 22 personnel, those two backs that are about two yards off the ball and hit the line in about a half a second, and we're running split back veer. And nobody, that was at the beginning of the day of the spread offenses, and people didn't know what to do with it. And I say all that to say this. We tried to prepare the best we could every week and took whatever a team's base defense was and looked at what adjustments they were going to have to make. But rarely did anybody play the defense we saw the two, three, four weeks prior on film against us because our offense was different. Mm. And when you look at Heupel's and anybody that talks about it, the, the splits, his receivers going all the way to the sideline, the way they spread you out, they're giving you a different look than what the majority of the teams are giving you. And you've got to make some kind of adjustments to that. You've got to change something up to take up that space. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I see with this offense that puts stress on the defense is they're almost making you pick your poison. Are you going to stop the running game and let those receivers have a lot of room out there to operate one-on-one a lot of times or whatever? Or are you going to back people off, take out a lot of that extra space that they're creating, and – hope you can stop the running game with, with four or five in the box. Yep. But I, I, I wonder if that's not why he, he saw things different because teams were trying to change up their defense to match an offense that they didn't normally see. That's good stuff right there. Now, good stuff. I can, I, I can tell you coach some ball, sir. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's been about 30 years on the sidelines. So. <laughs> Heck, yeah, you can hear it. Well, well we uh, – I mean, well, it's just like – uh, my first years, 30 years ago, we had a schedule that had three teams that ran the veer out of the wishbone and went to the winningest coach in the state and who got this from uh, Schnellenberger. You'll mm-hmm. remember when they used to stop the wishbone down at Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a lot of this, which we simplified for high school kids at the time. But we had a defense that we just called bone defense. And it totally was different from anything we did any other time of the year against a normal offense. Yeah. And it had to be. You had no choice. Yep. So I just wonder how much of that is and how much you're going to see of that uh, is going to be because this offense spreads things out different. And it forces you to, to change up your coverages. It forces you to play a different, a little bit different defense um, to try to, to match up to it. And, and with that said, that makes what Kate May said last night. To me, that, that was very encouraging when he said, look, we saw some things we, we didn't know, and that's always first game. You're always going to see – you don't know what you're going to see in the first game. Exactly. But uh, – and especially a team with a new defensive coordinator. Yep. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Bowling Green had a new defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, in, in, in him saying, you know – we 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 were able to make the adjustments, and we we were able to do it without a lot of trouble. And our coaches saw what they were doing, and here's what we got to do. Uh, that's very encouraging. Yep, very encouraging. So, anyway, I'll get off here. Thank you for your show. Uh, 
I've been listening for over two years, and I think awesome. this is my first call. But uh, uh, but I really appreciate your show, and I love your new show on Tuesday nights. Thank, Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much, David. Thank you so much for calling, breaking out ice, and you can call back anytime, man. Tennessee Prime, you know, like what what's, what's, what makes it so special is like it's good for everyone involved mainly the players because they get a chance to to show off a different side of themselves when when they decompress and I want people to really hear a player's schedule from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed and like I don't think people really realize how it is a full-time job mm-hmm. uh, so to speak and um you know Cade has done a great job uh he's he he is season but Tyler's just a sophomore um his father Patrick Abernathy on the staff you know has prepared him to be a college athlete and um you can tell that he's mature um he he's well spoken um he's humble he's hungry he, he has a purpose last night was was awesome you know we didn't have that quarterback shine that you know we had the first first week because you know, everyone gravitates towards you know quarterbacks. There's two two guys in the trenches that's going to be vital this weekend. But man, I I love uh, last night's show, man. It was it was awesome. And then um, you know the audio was was better. Um, but man, technology, dude, they it's it's crazy, man. It's crazy. I wish people can see like what all goes into it, and they'd be blown away. Man, you know. I, I was doing the Vol Network Big Orange uh, Countdown pregame show. Like, all I had to do was sit down and put my headset on and talk. It's like, wow, this is cool. You know, all I had to do, um, Sports Animal, Rivalry Thursday, calling the game on the radio, was just sit down and talk. It's like, wow, this is pretty cool. But to do this show and to 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 bring it to you the way we want to. It's a whole lot more buttons. It's it's being being co-host producer. Uh, it's me being co-host producer and engineer. Like it's it's a lot, which I'm pretty sure people can see during Tennessee Prime because either Austin or or Brent they're bringing us back from breaks, taking us to breaks as I do the engineering slash hosting as well. So. But it's worth it, man. I think our I think our people that have listened to it, watched it, they enjoy it. I think it's good for our players to be able to, you know, work with a local business. It's great for the business. Uh, I've met some people up there at Gus's Fried Chicken, and you know, they they just so passionate about Tennessee football. They're tickled to death every time uh, we come out and the players come out. So we we gonna grow this thing, and and uh, I, I I I'm excited about Tennessee Prime. Uh, it's 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 awesome. It's it's awesome. I look forward to grow and get more sponsors and have more players come out. And, uh, it all works when Tennessee is is winning, though. Um, you know that tough game. That's 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 going to be interesting to see kind of how the NIL stuff plays out and how the show plays out. You know, once some adversity hits. So um, we got the right guys involved, though, to be professional. Uh, if and when that does happen with Hubs and you, Ben, and, and AP, uh, we'll, 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 we'll handle it the right way uh, like we've shown that we that, that, that we do uh, in most, most cases. 
Well, they do. I don't know about me in most cases. Uh, for Ben McKee, I'm Jason Swain. We hope you have a great day. Uh, we're going to have the replay and the, the, the links and the clips of Charles Davis and Jackie Sherrill. Already and Chris Lowe up. Oh, there it is. Boom. Except so it's a, Jackie Sherrill. It's already up. So we'll have that up uh, here momentarily. Hope you have a great day. Swain Event Fueled by Dead End Barbecue, Hour 3, powered by Low T Center and LowTCenter.com. Same time tomorrow, 7 a.m. Peace and love. We are out.